0: Welcome to the Jewish Education Salon with Sarah Shapiro-Plevin, a partnership of Remonim Consulting and Jcast Network. This podcast series provides an opportunity for those dedicated to Jewish education and Jewish communal service to explore and wrestle with the issues of the day facing this community. For more information about Sarah Shapiro-Plevin and Remonim Consulting, please visit remonimconsulting.org. For more information about the other Jcast Networks, podcasts, and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Today's episode, entitled The $54,000 Strategy Step 2, Making Change Happen, originally took place as a webinar co-sponsored by JedLab. For more information about JedLab, please visit gedlab.org. To read the original article by Mark Young that sparked this conversation, please visit jcastnetwork.org/slash/54k.
1: My name is Sarah Shapiro Plevin, and I am absolutely thrilled to be here um, as the facilitator and participant in today's conversation, and uh, to be bringing Jed Lab. Um, into a webinar format and having everybody together sharing this common space. Um, if you have a chance, please introduce yourself using the chat feature. And um, we have muted everyone. We'll be asking our presenters to speak and unmuting them. But for now, we'll ask everybody to be muted. And just a quick word, when you are using the chat feature, please make sure that you include everyone. It's the default position. But um, there's also a possibility for you to interact with each other uh, individually. And you can um, type personal chats as well into the chat screen. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, I am welcoming all of us together on behalf of JedLab. JedLab, which is now, I believe, about 2,050 members strong. And um, we really are emerging as a network that has not only a lot to say but a lot to do together and this is our this is one of our ways of bringing ourselves together for conversation to develop the big ideas that are motivating us and moving us but also to develop some relationships that might only continue to exist in cyberspace so we're here together for conversation for partially for that reason for today Um, I want to invite Ken Gordon to unmute himself and um, to tell us just a brief little story about Jed Lab um, so that we all have a bigger picture of why we're here together.
2: Yeah, hi. can you hear me, Sarah?
1: Yes, great, thank okay.
2: you. Yeah, no, hi everybody. Uh, Jed Lab is a network. We see on Jed Lab that Jed Lab, Jed Lab happens where Jed Lab congregates. And the idea is we're building these real, authentic relationships of people who have a passion for Jewish education in a whole bunch of different scenarios and areas and places and ways. And I'll just read very quickly a a little bit from an article that I wrote with, co-wrote, with the Hoffman, um, the latest edition of Hayidiom, which sort of describes it very succinctly, and I I just will read it really quickly. Lab is a network, a community, a Jewish admin, it's a society. It's a debating society, an incubator, a 24-6 professional development party. It's people throwing spaghetti against the wall, joyful chaos, a family. GED Lab is what its members think it is, and this can change at any moment. It's also an online forum. But unlike most online forums, GED Lab, which right now mostly consistently manifests itself as a Facebook group, is unsatisfied with being merely in a highly engaged online community. And that's all I got to say about that, Sarah.
1: Marvelous. Ken, thank you so much. Um Lab is a really—it's place for us to come together in conversation, and that's precisely what will take place here over the next hour. Um, the $54,000 question was um, on all of our lips uh, for the last number of months, both in a public forum via Lab, uh, via Twitter, all kinds of different places, and between many of us, and we really recognized that this question is something that motivates us and concerns us uh, and we wanted to bring these voices together the voices of our presenters but also your voices together to continue the conversation and to really think about how we as individuals can make change happen both in our own professional settings but across the field um, why this, why now? this is really in response to the developing conversations that originated um, in the Jewish Communal Service Association of North America and through e Philanthropy, and um, beginning with Mark's article. And this conversation, many of you may be aware of this, spilled over into JedLab, and we're just really eager to carry it forward here. Now is the time really for us in this emerging network to develop our own capacity for learning. So we're using the $54,000 question as a, a catalyst, really, to begin a conversation to engage in learning together in this particular place and space, reminding ourselves that this conversation can emerge, can continue on Facebook and Twitter, in personal conversations, by phone, everywhere. Um, so um, that's, a, that's a place for us to get started. Um, we're gonna go ahead and move forward. I just wanna give everybody just a, a quick reminder about good webinar uh, participation everybody's phone is already on mute everybody's speakers are already on mute and this is really just solely to eliminate background noise and feedback Um, if you are having any questions or concerns about audio you might want to try wearing headphones because that will really give you the best listening experience Um, if you want to ask a question please please do please interact with us Um, post your question in the chat feature we're going to be monitoring that space throughout our conversation today and um, Sarah gave me a great tip if you really want to make it obvious put it in bold that will help us to um, to keep track of the conversation and we really do encourage you to use the chat uh, both while our presenters are speaking but to ask questions to talk with each other uh, and make sure to post to everyone unless it's really something private Uh, also Sarah reminded me that um, you can make your slides bigger if you feel that uh, the screen is a little bit small If you go under menu and view, you have a chance to make the slides a little bit bigger. And we really do, as you already see um, in the chat, please, please make sure that if you have a question, you share it with us. Um, So I want to introduce the the catalyst for our conversation, Mark Young. Mark is going to be giving us uh, a short introduction to the conversation. Mark's the program coordinator of the Experiential Learning Initiative at JTS in the Davidson School. And uh, Mark grew up in informal and experiential settings, a longtime camp person and in USY. And he lives in the New York area with his wife and his little daughter. And we are thrilled to have him here with us today. Mark, if you can go ahead and begin, Mark is going to be able to be visible to us using video and um, will speak with us using video and by voice. Again, if you have any questions, please feel free to begin them in chat. Mark, thank you very much.
3: Sarah, thank you. Um, And if you can't hear me, just please let me know. Um, And just as an FYI, I don't have any other slides, so um, just what I'm going to be sharing. Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, I only have seven minutes, but I do want to take one to thank the Jewish Communal Service Association, JCSA, for publishing the pieces uh, in the journal and eNews uh, and to thank Ken, Sarah, and everyone at GED Lab for the idea of this webinar and inviting all of us to speak. Uh, for all of you, as well, for wanting to engage in this conversation and move it forward. This is just awesome. So, my feelings and suggestions on this topic I hopefully were made clear in my articles. So for our conversation today, I want to focus on why I wrote the $54,000 strategy and then suggest three big ideas that I hope you take away from today's conversation. They center around how we, all Jewish educators and communal professionals, can own the $54,000 strategy and understand what's around us so we can own it well and be active agents in the change. So first, why? Uh, And Sarah mentioned my background in Jewish camp. So picture a packed dining hall at Jewish camp. Lunch has just ended, and it's time for cheering and song session. I remember for me that the entire staff always got up on their benches to sing and cheer with enormous ruach every day, feeling it just as deeply as the campers. Now, it wasn't just because we love camp. As staff, we felt valued. For those who have been, think about it. There are numerous numerous possibilities for personal growth and skill set building, staff senior to us who are systematically in place to guide us, and when you think about it from an opportunity cost perspective, pretty nice compensation. So I wrote the $54,000 strategy because JCSA asks for big and bold solutions to our Jewish communal problems. And I thought about why many in our field are not, quote, standing on our benches and cheering with enthusiasm, unquote, while at work in the Jewish community. Perhaps some of us are, but I believe all could be. So I wrote a piece that does not intend to blame leadership, rather expose a flaw in our Jewish nonprofit culture. Jewish institutions have admirable goals that are doing a lot of good. However, they tend to focus on the consumer, patron, student, or client, and often overlook intentionally planning and implementing investment strategies in our staff. So again, I wrote the $54,000 strategy for two main reasons. First, to make our institutions stronger. I believe that following the strategy and the making change happen piece, will lead to healthier, more sustainable bottom lines in both mission and in money. And speaking of mission, in writing my piece, I also hope to draw attention to my second reason, who the staff are. The staff are precisely the Jews we in the community aim to engage. These are the people that want to make Jewish life stronger and care about the Jewish people. The $54,000 strategy proposes how we can keep them turned on and not turned off. So I want to propose three big ideas that I hope to leave you with, based on Sarah Shapiro-Plevin's forthcoming prompts a bit later in the webinar. One, the question of why, what are concrete ways that Jewish institutions can value their employees in ways that benefit both the institution and the individual. Much of the responsibility lies in the institution, but my first takeaway is that the responsibility also lies in the individuals. Speak up. Ask for weekly meetings with your supervisor and in, that includes helpful feedback and evaluations. Manage up by suggesting ways you can personally grow. Request raises or suggest strategies of how your compensation can be restructured. Organizations will wise up to the fact that great Jewish educators and professionals are not a dime a dozen if they haven't already. For example, an organization might realize that if they give a significant raise or other incentives to their program associate or educator, then they may not need to rehire so often. They can keep the strong teacher who will do better work and build the program year to year. They will save money in the process, thinking in five to 10 year budgets and not just one year at a time. Number two, what would it take to train and support managers and supervisors to be most effective in their roles? Sarah asked us to dream big. To this, I say, dream big, but start small. Employees at any level, can suggest that the institution bring in one trainer to start the conversation on effective management that won't cost an arm and a leg. Once folks are inspired, there will be momentum to put in place stronger management systems and managers actually trained to manage staff effectively. This also means that the top professionals and lay leaders need not only to be on board, but they need to model as well. If they don't fill out the performance evaluation and have meaningful weekly meetings, why should anybody else? Anybody at any level can lead from where they are. So three, how realistic is the $54,000 strategy? The $54,000 strategy is realistic if we all step up, advocate for ourselves, share our opinions, and suggest and request change, what we're doing today. I have the privilege of teaching leadership here at JTS, and we discussed with our students that leadership does not have to come from the person with the corner office or largest salary. Rather, anyone in the organization that displays qualities, and shares ideas that inspires others. It will get noticed. The $54,000 strategy is about shifting the focus from the patron to the staff, or rather letting each one come into focus. My former camp director taught me that camp is not about the campers, it's about the staff. Make the staff feel valued, strong compensation, professional development, effective support, and great work culture, and the enthusiasm and ruach will spill over. Staff care. And look, I'm realistic as well. We cannot pay educators and professionals a million bucks, nor should we. But we should try to make them feel like a million bucks. Harness the energy of these enthusiastic, idealistic individuals by providing them incentives and room to grow. It will undoubtedly benefit our Jewish institutions, the institutions that are simply trying to do good for the Jewish people and the world as a whole. So I look forward to hearing the responses from the panel and for all of your thoughts so we can keep this conversation alive and make change happen.
1: Mark, thank you so much. Um, We were working to take some notes in chat that I hope will be refreshing uh, everyone's memories as we move forward. But already, I can see that there are a lot of core issues that you raised that we'll have ample time to um, discuss as we move forward. So thank you so much. Um, Next, I want to begin with Liz Fisher. Um, Liz and our other respondents, um, Dr. Jonathan Krasner and Ken Gordon, will be responding not just to Mark's words here and now, but also to the to the large number of articles and conversations that have taken place over the last many months around this big idea, and. Um, each one will take just a short bit of time to reflect and respond, and then we'll come together for conversation afterward. Um, Liz is the Managing Director at Next, a division of Birthright Israel, and she most recently came to Next from the Jewish Education Project, where she served as the Director of Development and Institutional Advancement. And um, she has done most of her work in team building, strategy, and operations, and has a degree in social work. She's a fan of Brooklyn, woohoo! And um, I am constantly amazed by um, the fact that she is a runner, which um, I, I know as Jewish professionals we all need to have some outlets, but this is a particularly healthy and excellent outlet. Um, and a mom and a reader, um, which we also envy. Thanks, Liz, for joining us, and um, we turn the floor over to you.
4: Uh, You're welcome. Thanks for having me. First of all, I have to say I'm very jealous of Mark's office. For those of you who have on screen, Mark has all these cool uh, quotes and pictures, and I'm sitting in front of a blank wall with a big, messy pile of papers. I tried to clean around me, but um, I'm jealous, Mark. I'm going to have to get some decorating tips from you. Um, Thanks for having me, uh, and I want to start by just giving you a little bit bit more background of who I am. I think that, as we all do, we're in a relationship business, and webinar is a little weird, and we don't really get a chance to schmooze before we start talking, Um, and I think it's important that you understand a little bit more about who I am and who I'm not. So I just want to start by saying that while... Next, um, is definitely an institution that cares deeply about Jewish education and Jewish education of young adults and that I came from another Jewish educational institution. I am nowhere near the Jewish educator that my uh, respondents and that Mark are, um, nor that any of you are. And so I do not at all profess to be an expert in Jewish education. I am a parent of two kids, six and 10. They're in congregational school. I'm a volunteer in the congregation. not a day school parent not a day school teacher and so I want to share my thoughts with you and I want to acknowledge that I think that there are some similarities in the Jewish world across organizations and across fields and there are some differences and then I think that some of the demands of direct Jewish education particularly professional staff in congregations and in the day school world are different than they are in the organized community world so I want to start with that caveat um, Next is focused on young adult engagement and our strategy deeply focuses on those people who work with young adults across the country. Many of those people are themselves young professionals and through my work here, I've had tremendous experience to talk to young adults um, who are working in the Jewish community, who are new to the field and about what their experiences have been. And I've also professionally managed many teams of people across the generations, people you know, younger than me, people older than me, but the vast majority of that work has also been in the millennial generation. So I think the majority, I consider myself a Gen Xer. I am literally turning 40 very soon, um, and, but I consider really that some of what I'm going to say potentially may speak more to the 20-somethings among us. So quickly, some of you may know I'm married to a musician. Uh, who's primarily a freelance musician. And there's a way that freelance musicians think about their work, this trifecta. They call it the money, the music, and the hang, right? And so it's one of the ways that uh, they think about how to choose a gig, right? So the money is the money. The music is, is in our words, sort of the, the content, the experience, the mission. And the hang is the hang, the people you're with um, and the how it feels to be on a day-to-day basis. And I think that, for me, it's become a really useful framework in thinking also about Jewish community work and how we recruit and retain Jewish communal professionals. Mark talked about the money. I'm not going to undersell the money. The money is important, and I will tell you that it's not just the money, actually. It's also the benefits. I um, have parents who are aging. I have small children. I am very sandwich generation, and I deeply understand the Demands and the necessity of six time and flexibility and all of those kinds of things. So the money and the benefits are important. And when I talk to young professionals, those who work here and those who work other places, it's not the money and the benefits that are keeping them in their jobs. It's it's what we would what the musicians would call the music and the hang, right? Um, and so I, I wrote a piece which some of you may have read that in this ta- analogy maybe we'll call the music, right? I think it's important that we don't forget that we're Jewish communal professionals, and that we hold on to Jewish learning and Jewish content and we wake up every morning and think about why we're in this Um, and I constantly have to remind myself and remind my team on the really hard days why are we in this? What are we trying to accomplish? How do we envision the world and how are we collectively going to get there? Um, I want to share a couple but I, I also think Excuse me. I also think that the hang piece of this is important and really important for us because we spend so much time at work, right The experience that we have at work, who we see, how it is, you know just sort of how we feel about it. So I want to give a few very short concrete suggestions on those pieces. how to increase the, the, the content, the mission and the feeling of um, excitement and participation in the workplace. And I want to share a few things that we've done internally at Next that have been helpful. And then I'm going to stop talking because I'm probably over my time already. Um, in terms of the content, our CEO meets once every three weeks with all of the I'm going to call them middle management on our team in specifically mentoring meetings, right? Those aren't to go over their deliverable, they're not project based. There's specifically 45 minutes between the people on our team and our CEO where they can ask questions that they have about their career, about what they're thinking about, and um, how to move things forward. I've heard great feedback from them, and it's a time thing on her part, but it definitely sends a message throughout our organization that we care about the development of people and that we're focused on um, helping them. Number two, access to conversations. There's a lot of talk, particularly about the millennials, that people want access to and kind of influence over decision-making. I've had lots of experience with people saying to me that they want access to decision-making and then being really comfortable when the decision goes in a way that they didn't expect it to go. But people absolutely to feel need to feel listened, heard, and have access to conversations. And we try as much as we can, and trust me, The Birthright Enterprise has as much internal politics as any organization you can imagine. We try as much as we can to be as transparent as possible to let people know what we're talking about, who we're talking about them, what senior professionals are spending our time on, um, and giving them access to the conversation wherever we can. It doesn't mean they make the decisions. Um, We have a governance structure, we have a professional hierarchy structure, but it does mean that they have access to the conversation and understanding of how decisions are being made and how to participate in those decisions. Um, I, I think that we also, um, and this, I don't know, maybe a standard is maybe not, you know, we always have Jewish learning at staff meetings. It's always led by a different person on the team. It's not led by our in-house rabbi. It's led by a different person around the table who can then think about Jewish content. And it is very often focused on kind of Jewish content and the work that we do, so trying to make the connections. Um, two very small things that are much more hang than anything else, we got a popcorn machine. It costs thirty dollars. I can't tell you how it has changed the culture of this organization. We have, we, we. I share it as an example because I think that lots of us look at places like Silicon Valley and say, "I wish we could have those perks, right? I wish I could buy everyone Segways. I can't. I can buy everybody popcorn, right? And I think that that kind of creating a fun workplace is really helpful too. So. With that, I'm going to stop, and um, I hope that there will be lots of questions, and look forward to speaking with all of you, and thank very much the organizers um, of both DevLab Lab and this conversation, and my fellow speakers.
1: Liz, thank you so much. I think you really gave us quite a bit to think about, and I think we're now going to shift from using the boring word webinar into all these JedLab hangs. So thank you <laughs> my
4: husband will be proud I, I we,
1: will, we will absolutely give absolutely him credit. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm excited to introduce Ken Gordon who um, is really very much behind why we're here in conversation today. Ken is the co-founder of JedLab. Um, he also founded Quick Muse and his day job is the social media and content director for Page. The Partnership for Excellence in Jewish Education. Um, on top of that, he's a writer, he's a dad, he's a husband, he's a very funny guy, and uh, we're thrilled to have him join us in conversation today. Ken, I'll turn it over to you.
2: Yo, thank you, Sarah. You're doing an awesome job. And Liz, that was fantastic. I loved hanging with you. Okay, so the 54K strategy and Jed Lab and what uh, it's all about. I think that Mark set me thinking when I saw his thing and part of the uh, influence that his piece had on me was that I really think we need to learn to empower ourselves. You know, I think we do have to think about calling for structural change and sort of wide sweeping changes if what we want to do is implement the $54,000 strategy. But really and truly, we need to learn to advocate in a serious way for ourselves. So for me, the 54K strategy is really about vanquishing what I called in a piece that I wrote somewhere or other, uh, the Jewish communal inferiority complex. And and basically, it's the idea, if we're honest with ourselves, we we don't esteem ourselves enough. Um, Part of it is that we are seen by people who don't work in our business as folks who can't make it in the real world. We sort of lack. You know the chutzpah, the brains, or whatever, to duke it out uh, with the grown-up with the grown-ups in the grown-up marketplace. Instead, we stay in our professional settle safe, earning our minor money and engaging in less than essential activities, Jewish ones, right? Well, I think I think that's bull. I think it's baloney. I think we have to, on our own, make ourselves and our jobs into jobs of choice, and we need to be make a much better job of learning to go in there and take. Um, action. So I think what you need to do, for example, one of the things we learned from the Media Lab is that you work best when you're tapped into your actual passions and I feel like you have to know what your skills are, you have to know what your passions are and you have to present them to your manager, to your um, to your business and say I want to find a way to make these things work together. And then you have to work with that person to create a kind of plan in which you will actually. Um, be doing the kind of work you could best be doing and making sure that it aligns with what your organization's um, goals are. You know, the brilliant tick for Wiener, who's a teacher up at Frisch School and one of the original um, Lab people decided, for example, she did this brilliant, she wanted to do project-based learning. And so she introduced project-based learning, or PBL, uh, into this modern orthodox world and as an after-school program. And she basically said to her kids, because she wanted to do this, what would you like to learn? And the kids took it up and they just exploded with it. What they've done is incredible success. But it still just started off as a sort of um, after school program. Then after a while, the school recognized that what she was doing is really useful. And so they said, well, you can sort of incorporate some of that into your classwork. And she did. And they loved it. that. They do it so much that she, they just made her the Director of Educational Innovation at in Frisch, And they're very much interesting interested in sort of real schoolifying the entire school. It was a question of Tikvah sticking to her guns, really finding a way to make it happen, doing it and then convincing the people who need to be convinced that this made sense. And by taking that kind of initiative, she showed her organization that change can be good and it is a good, smart thing from the part of her managers to encourage this. So what I will say to you, everyone out there who wants to say, how do we do this? Give yourself the responsibility of having the job you want. Make your job, incorporate the intellectual challenges you want into your job. Make yourself a leader. Engage with the people, who are the thought leaders in the work that you are doing. And how do we do this? We read the leading, uh, the influencers, the books they read. And we don't just read them, we contact these people. I wrote an article about how you do this. And very simple, if you read an article by a thought leader out there, you want to get in contact with this person, you do. You go find out where they teach or what their author website is. You get that email and you engage this person in an actual authentic conversation. You start by building out relationships and suddenly that person becomes part of your personal learning network, as we call it in the cyber world. Once you do that, you're professional development. You're taking care of it yourself. You are actually taking a role in that. And then you can actually take these things you're learning and incorporate them into your, role plan, into your work plan. Don't passively let your manager tell you what's going to happen. Insist on creating what it is you do. Devise projects that really make sense to you, that give an element of what Tony um, Wagner talks about, play, passion, and purpose all coming together. This is the kind of thing you want to be able to create. No one's going to do it for you. Finally, uh, talking about compensation. If you want to make more money, you have to go and make the case for it. You have to go explain why you do is valuable to your organization. You have to demonstrate your value, and you have to do so in a way that incorporates data that speaks to the goals of the organization. And you have to really say, "Okay, if I want to move up, if I want to do this, I'm going to do the best thing I can by talking to my manager, by talking to the powers that be. What I'm worth." because no one else is going to do it for you. As much as we all want to support the idea of a general raise, of a general um, change in the way people are invested in in the Jewish communal world, it's a very, very difficult thing to happen. And I think we have to do it one person at a time. And I think this is what um, Mark was suggesting. We really need to get up on the bench and start cheering. Maybe we've got to start cheering for ourselves. And I just spoke really fast, and I feel like I spoke for a very long time. So I am going to say goodbye now, and thank you for giving me a moment.
1: Ken, thank you so much. Uh, next up, we have Dr. Jonathan Krasner, and Jonathan's is this the, excuse me the associate professor of the American Jewish Experience at HUCJIR in New York, and a visiting scholar at the Mandel Center at Brandeis. Uh, he wrote a fabulous, fabulous book on the Benderly Boys in American Jewish Education, which I highly recommend that you all read, and. Um, He is here um, both as a participant in the conversation, but also as a resident historian. Jonathan, we're so glad to have you. uh, And I turn it over to you. Jonathan, are you able to unmute? Let's see. Sarah, I wonder if you might be able to give us a hand helping Jonathan to unmute. Great. Thanks so much. Jonathan, you're on. Jonathan, it looks like you might need to click on your own microphone. Um, Looks like you may have yourself muted. Um, So I think that we're gonna try to figure out the tech issues, but I wanted to um, give us all just a moment Part of the experience of a webinar is a very much um, frontal presentation where you're all sitting at your computers listening, and we will attempt in some way to make this uh, a conversation. And I want to take a minute, which is really unusual on a webinar, to be quiet and to give you all a chance to think and to write into, right, the hang, right? Um, to give you a chance to think and to put your words and your thoughts into text, and to share with us in our chat feature the issues that are bubbling up for you, the concerns that you have, and your questions and responses based on Mark's comments, Liz's comments, and Ken's comments. And um, when we get uh, Jonathan on, we'll have a chance to respond to his as well. So we're going to take about 45 seconds, and I would love to um, have you Bring all of your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns, and share with them. Share with us in the chat chat feature.
5: Okay, I think I'm unmuted now. Oh,
1: you are marvelous! So everybody, stop thinking, <laughs> and we'll give <laughs> Jonathan a chance to share his thoughts, and then we'll come back and we'll collect everyone's thoughts in the chat feature um, immediately after. Jonathan, thanks so much.
5: Okay, sorry, Sarah. Um... No worries in any event um, I'm gonna try to be quick given the fact that we lost a little bit of time there with the uh, with, with the technical difficulties um, so I'm gonna come at this from a historical perspective and I'm going to really focus I think primarily on the compensation issue um, and I wanna uh, bring out three interesting points and the first um, as those of you who know me uh, will probably uh, be familiar with is this, this idea of en chadashta chadashamesh, uh, namely that there's nothing new under the sun, um, that the issues that we're dealing with um, are very much issues that have been alive within the Jewish community uh, from, if not from time immemorial, then, then certainly um, since the beginning of the 20th century, if not earlier. Uh, so uh, if you go back and you look at the early 20th century, when the field was becoming professionalized, um, we see that uh, many of these issues, issues of compensation and the question of how one should deal with a Jewish professional um, and why one becomes a Jewish professional was were very much uh, at the fore. Um, And we see that really there were two uh, attitudes that that people had at the time. Um, One was that uh, one should professionalize the field uh, because the only way that uh, one will get respect is if one is treated by respect, and that uh, in the United States, anyway, um, the way that one is treated by respect uh, very much correlates to how much money one makes. Um, so that's one point of view. And then the other point of view was that Jewish professionals don't go into it for the money, they go into it for satisfaction, they go into it for spiritual reasons um, and uh, therefore uh, you know we really shouldn't focus on that in some way by focusing on the financial end of things that were actually demeaning the profession. Um, This is a helping profession and that we should really focus on the spirituality rather than uh, on the financial stuff. Um, And I think that over time it became very clear that while the people that were focusing on the spiritual aspect of things uh, and and focusing more on, uh, you know, the the more ethereal reasons why people go into Jewish education uh, or Jewish communal service, um, that that argument really didn't hold much water. Because when push came to shove, when financial times became tough, uh, it wasn't as if uh, many of these Jewish organizations went out of their way to act in a more Uh, I don't know, menschlich way, a a more sort of uh, above board way than any other financial organization uh, would. Um, This was particularly true in the Depression, um, where you had a situation where uh, Jewish organizations were laying people off right and left. uh, And uh, you know, all those years uh, where people were being uh, financially compensated uh, at a lower rate. Uh, uh, you know, supposedly, uh, because uh, you know the rules are different uh, within the Jewish community, and that you should get your uh, satisfaction in, in other ways, and that we take care of our own. Um, all of that, you know, sort of went flying to the wind uh, because financial necessity uh, sort of dictated uh, reality, um, and so we need to really live uh, in that world. Um, now, having said that. Um, There is another problem which developed over time, and that is that as the Jewish communal world and the Jewish teaching world became professionalized, um, it was very much tied to the way in which society at large values these fields. Um, And in particular, uh, because over time, communal service, social work, and teaching were gendered as feminine, um, the compensation in these fields, in the society as a whole, uh, was low, um, and uh, therefore I think what we find even today uh, is that uh, we are still fighting the fight uh, for these fields to be recognized um, and to be compensated at a level that they should. Um, I just want to say one or two more things, I know I'm probably out of time already um and and you know i I just again i don 't want to be uh, Debbie Downer uh, about any of this, but I want to throw into uh, the mix a problem that I think we're going to face in terms of compensation, and that is that in the past few years we've seen uh declining uh, uh particularly in the synagogue world we've seen uh declining number of people who are paying synagogue dues, uh, a whole ar- uh, argument or discussion um, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with about whether or not one can demand synagogue dues anymore. Um, I think that uh, this issue is is live not only in the synagogue world but in other places as well as the Jewish community uh, or I should say the non-orthodox Jewish community becomes smaller uh, you know, due to demographic uh, constraints, and and as we're living in a culture where young people in particular are not used to paying for services, they're used to getting things uh, information, uh, everything for free, uh, I think that we're going to be increasingly um, in a place where it's going to be difficult to push up uh, the compensation um, because there just aren't going to be enough dollars to go around. The pie itself is going to get smaller. Um, and again, I don't want to say that, uh, you know, I hesitate to say it because um, it's, it's a depressing idea, um, but I think that we should at least throw that out there and, and sort of deal with the reality the way that it is. So thanks.
1: Jonathan, thank you so much. Um, and I, th- I really do think that that historical perspective is so valuable in this conversation. Um, I want to next... Um, me, to give us a chance to look at some of the guiding questions that our presenters uh, use to frame their work and these are really meant to be thought provoking for you as you are formulating some of the questions you have as we begin to, to uh, start our dialogue here. Um, so first of all, Um, If everybody has a chance to take a look at the screen, what are some of the concrete ways the Jewish institutions, schools, organizations, et cetera, can value employees in ways that benefit the institution and the individual? Right. So we're hoping that you leave here with some very concrete things that you can do as next steps. Um, Also, what what are the stories of meaning that you are finding in your work that enable you to remain engaged and to move forward in the field? Uh, Liz spoke a little bit about this and um, to think really about the stories that are inspiring you. Also, in Mark's initial piece he spoke about what it would take to train and support managers and supervisors to be most effective in their roles. We have a number of people on here today in conversation who are managers and supervisors. What does it take for us to be most effective and most supportive? And for those of us who are not in those roles, what do we need from our managers and supervisors to be effective? Um, Also, um, what are the generational issues at play here? Jonathan really raised these for us as we're really thinking about what we can learn from the generational issues that will help us to appreciate each other as professionals. these are really big issues that we may not have needed to confront in previous generations and they're certainly um, big and important issues for us to grapple with now and then finally to really think about how realistic the fifty four thousand dollar strategy is right what are the chances of an entire communal world suddenly shifting course for us to be able to um, for us to be able to all earn a living wage so these are the framing questions for us as we move on And really, what we'd like to do is invite you to begin a dialogue that is reflective in our chat connection. Um, We will pull out some of the big ideas that we've seen, and please feel free to share your questions, your comments, your concerns, etc. I noticed a little bit um, back in the conversation, if you guys want to scroll back, uh, that some of the issues here um, that have risen up um, there was a question about gender, and I wonder if any of our respondents, um, Mark, Liz, Ken, Jonathan would like to think a little bit about how gender is in play here, and um, I don't want to go too deeply into the, um, to the issue, but ask you guys perhaps to explore and think a little bit about how gender is at play. And I'm going to go back um, to some of the framing questions. You guys can take a look at them.
4: Sarah? Mm hmm. Go ahead. Hi. I feel like, as the token girl on this panel, I have to address that, right?
1: <laughs> um, I'm with you. I'm with you.
4: I think, uh, look, it's a very deeply important question. Um, and I think that it is. Um, there are definitely gender considerations. I mean, there's no question that gender is an issue, particularly when we talk about salary and executive leadership positions and lay leadership positions in the broader Jewish community. I don't actually know as much the specifics of what I'm going to call the, you know, um, Jewish educational field, but for sure in the broader community, it's a significant issue. Um, it's an issue we're addressing. Um, you know, we're at, at next actually pretty close to 50-50 gender balance and our senior professional leadership is very women heavy. We have female CEO, female me. Our senior lay leadership is very heavily male heavy. Our executive committee is three men and one woman, I believe. But it's a big and real issue. I don't know what the solution is, but I do know that it exists for sure.
1: So I think if I, if I understand you correctly, I mean, this is something we need to not put aside. Men and women need to grapple with this. And there may not be a specific question or concern, but it's just something that we need to be aware of and work toward more gender parity um, so that we can make sure that it doesn't become, uh, it doesn't contribute to the problem it becomes a contribution to this. Right. I
4: will add one thing, which is that issues that in previous generations we might have thought of as gendered issues, and maybe Mark wants to address this too, things like flexibility, things like um, work-life balance, um, in the professional generation of 20-something millennials that I work with closely are, ge- are not gendered issues. Those are universal issues, and so I think in some ways there's cultural shift as well.
3: Great, thank you. Sarah, I'll just say, I'll say 30 seconds on the gender piece. I think gender certainly is playing a role, because at least through visual evidence, the vast majority of people uh, in entry-level and mid-level positions in the Jewish world are female. We know that females are not being paid as much as males for equal pay overall in this world. We know that the significant amount of people at leadership positions are male, and that needs to change. Um, so I think the, gen- the gender issue is related. My only hope, and I'm being very open knowing that I'm speaking as a male, that I hope this isn't just a gender issue. If we only frame this as a gender issue, I think there's a larger set of questions and challenges at play that might get uh, offshot and we don't talk about, because we're focusing it only as a gender issue. So I think they're overlapping circles, but I, I chose at least not to focus on the gender issue, so we can think about the larger um, issues and possibilities for Jewish communal professionals. Knowing that each of our personalities and each of our backgrounds plays a role in every conversation related to this.:
1: So Mark, thank you for that. I want to just quickly add in an additional layer and then invite um, Ken and Jonathan to respond as well. I, I think that somewhere in this conversation, um, some one of our presenters mentioned amazing. needing to stand up for yourself, be an advocate for your and learning how to ask for what you want that will enable you to grow as a professional. Um, look, my entire career, I have struggled with that, and I think that there are gender issues involved in that, and I wonder if we can add to this conversation what recommendations you might make for people whose default position is not to stand up for themselves and advocate for what they need, uh, how we might learn to take baby steps and to begin that process. Ken, Jonathan, would you like to,
5: so I just wanted, to add to that? I, mean, I, I raised the gender issue initially, so I'm not going to say much more about it. I wholeheartedly agree that until we as a Jewish community and we as a society come to terms with uh, the inequity in pay and, and, and certain uh, assumptions that we have uh, that are sort of baked into our society uh, about uh, gender and, and the various, uh, I guess, Uh, worth of of certain professions over other professions until we confront that head-on I I don't think we're going to we're going to solve this problem completely Um, but I do want to you know just in in the couple of seconds that I have left to really second what Liz was saying before about the importance of family-friendly policies uh, in our organizations. Um, I was shocked when I was working uh, at a day school uh, 10 years ago um, about how difficult it was for women and men um, who had small kids at home uh, to have flexibility in their schedules so that they could, let's say, drop their kids off at daycare in the morning uh, or pick their kids up early Uh, at the end of the day, um, how people were made to feel um, guilty uh, because uh, they were prioritizing uh, family Uh, issues in their lives. Um, And and I just think that we as a community need to uh, talk the talk and and walk the walk or, or, you know, sort of uh, be true to ourselves. We talk about Jewish values a lot. Our uh, organizations need to exemplify the values that we're teaching. And that can begin um, or should begin in the way that we treat our staff uh, and uh, the kinds of messages that we're sending about the importance of family.
1: Jonathan, thank you, and I want to thank Liz for bringing up um, Advancing Women as Professionals. Um, This may actually be a very important, (laughs) narrower issue, and I say narrower, um, certainly not narrow, narrower issue that we may be able to tackle as a part of the Jed Lab community. To raise up those institutions who have created systems and solutions for being quote-unquote family-friendly and for us to share perhaps some of the tools that we have used to reach greater balance in our own lives around um, uh, family-friendliness. So thank you for raising that. I think that's a really important um, opportunity to extend this conversation. I want to go back to um, a question that was actually initially raised on the Facebook page, but Um, I have heard it across the conversation both in our chat and in the dialogue online. Um, What are some of the intangibles? What are some of the uh, opportunities for growth that we have seen as models for success that can be some of those benefits um, that make it um, even more rewarding to do the work that we do. And that give us, as so many of you spoke about, access, Uh, access to mentoring, access to professional learning, access to um, decision making, and and power in all of its various forms. Um, Sarah, can I I I address that? What it is that you have seen that you might share with us as um, perhaps uh, things to look forward to?
2: Sarah, can I address that? Please. This is going to sound a little weird, but I'm going to say it anyway. JED Lab. I feel like one of the things that's strong and powerful and magnetic about JED Lab is that we're a bunch of people who are individuals who work within these different organizations whose cultures don't necessarily support the kind of ambitions and innovations that some of the people want to do. And it's a community where people can get the kind of support and mentorship and feedback and it's, it's an ability, it gives you colleagues where you didn't have colleagues before. And it can give you support and strength where you didn't necessarily have it support, uh, before. And if you need to take those baby steps into sort of making the kind of situation you'd most like to see in your own job and in your own work environment, it can be daunting and scary as hell, I think. And I think one of the things that I've found is that people in JedLab are able to create these relationships. That make those kinds of changes less painful, or less daunting, or less um, uh, difficult somehow. And I would I would strongly encourage anyone who isn't already part of this conversation to take a look at that. We are actually able to raise issues that might be very difficult, if not impossible, to raise in an open forum in one's own Jewish communal organization, and can do it with complete candor and trust and and a responsiveness that I I, I don't know where else you can get. So I would say. Use that as a resource. We, we're happy to be part of um, anyone's sounding board and resource, anyone who needs it.
3: Mark. Yeah, so, you know, Jed Lab is amazing, 100%. And there are also a lot of organizations out there, professional associations, that are there for this purpose, to help rise us up, to give us those skill sets, to give us those mentorings that we're not getting in the organization. I'm a proud member of the board of the Jewish Communal Service Association, which is essentially a professional organization for Jewish communal professionals. And I understand Jed Lab is mostly for Jewish educators. There's Nate. there's Jewish Educators Assembly. All of these organizations are out there for the sole purpose of giving us access and the skill sets to do what we need to do to be successful. That's the whole reason they're there. Um, and I think this, this conversation and GED Labs uh, championing of this conversation only allows us to realize that our eyes need to be open to what needs to be out there. Now, I just want to say one other thing. A lot of the conversation today has been about making change happen from the individual's perspective. Uh, perspectives. I want everyone on this call and everyone that this call talks to everyone else to feel empowered. We need to have the conversation because organizations and community leaders do need to take their own steps and do need to realize the importance of this conversation. So I hope by having our conversations and advocating, they are getting the message as well. Um, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there for people that are afraid or just don't feel like they have the skill sets to advocate or know, know the information. Um, there's a lot of resources, and happy to have that conversation with anyone on Jed Lab and uh, elsewhere.
1: And I think I'd like to add that the baby steps piece is a really big part of this right no one is asking you as a professional to take a step toward radical change in the moment every single little baby step helps every single way that you develop a relationship that enables you to change your practice makes a difference Uh, that may be advocating for yourself that even may be advocating for a colleague who is standing in A similar position um, a few years ahead or a few years behind you, but that it is the little changes that really add up and, um, you know, I I think we would like to imagine the future that has been changed radically, but sometimes it really does take those baby steps. Um, I I see some things that are emerging in the chat that I do want to touch on. Um, some issues about part-time versus full-time and about the nature of um, perhaps feeling burdened by our work. Um, I also see that we have a, a number of points over the conversation, questions about where our funders are and whether or not our funders, who in some ways are very much divorced from daily work in organizational life, what our funders think about this? Um, and I, I wonder if any of you have had experience having conversations with funders about these big issues. Any of our presenters want to respond to the funder issue? Go ahead, Ken. No. Yeah, and just quickly, I'm going
4: to
2: be doing a, 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 a webinar. I'm going to be doing another webinar, another hang, um, but specifically for funders, for the Jewish Funders Network, and we're going to be talking about the role of social media and um, Jewish philanthropy and funding and Jewish education. And I w- if anybody has questions about what you'd like to say to a group of funders, like le- let me know what you think, because I would really be interested to hear what this group would have to ask of these people with the power and the money. Um, when we were before them, I, I really, I, I'm putting that to you. Liz, do you have anything uh, you would want to ask of a group of people? Yeah. One? Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah.
4: Yeah, okay. Um, so look, I, I do have some thoughts about this directly related, actually, to Mark's remarks and his piece, and I feel comfortable sharing them with, with you because I've shared them with Mark. I think that um, um, there's an assumption sometimes that executive leadership has control over things like calories and it's not always true. Um, At Next we are very um, lucky and grateful to have funders who largely give us operational support. So that allows us to make decisions about things like salaries and hiring. More and more funding comes in in terms of project-related grants and those project-related grants often have a specific amount for a specific salary and that's what people can pay. And I think to have this conversation. I think it's um, interesting to me that um, I'm gonna go. I guess I'll slightly off the record here. I have found it very interesting to me that funders have been absent in this conversation, and I have um, said that privately to some funders that I know. Right? They were. There was no funder response to this series of New Jewish Philanthropy articles. There's been no funder conversation about this. Um, but I think that those foundations in particular who have stepped up and do provide operational support in a way that allows organizations to make decisions about how most best to effectively manage their budget ought to step up and say that they're doing it. There's a lot of funders that are doing their work in a way that allows organizations to support their professionals and don't um, and understand that if we're in the relationship business, then people aren't overhead. Right? People are the only asset we have. People are our widgets. Um,
1: and so I think the funding question is huge. This next. Um, Liz, thank you so much for that. Um, uh, you know, what you just said, if we are in the relationship business, people are not overhead, right? That's very, very powerful. And I think um, it was part of the conversation that Ken and I had um, that I think really sort of emerged for all of those who were speaking on the call today that we note that this conversation is not a conversation that's being held with our leadership. Um, Whether it's our funders or the senior tier of leadership in all of our various organizations, their voices really have not been present, and um, clearly we need a, a a shift in the way that we're working in order to listen to them and to engage them in conversation. Um, I want to be cognizant of the time and um, give us a chance to move forward and what I want to ask you guys to do, also again a little odd for a webinar, is I want to ask you to grab a piece of paper, uh, a piece of printer paper, a piece of scrap, whatever you have available, and to jot down your responses to the following questions. So first, I want to ask you just to privately think about three things that you learned today, three things that were new for you, three things that you learned. Then I want to invite you to identify specifically two people who you want to tell about our conversation today, two people who can learn from what we've learned today who you'd like to share with. And then finally, I want to ask you to make a commitment to one new something that you're going to do as a direct result of today's conversation. We won't ask you to share this back with us as a community, but one something that you can do, one of those baby steps to making change in your own professional practice, in your own work, in your own experience. So take just a moment, if you haven't already, and jot down your responses. Um, as we're really finishing up today, I, I really I want to thank so so much Mark, Liz, Jonathan, and Ken for engaging us in conversation today, and shedding light on the conversation. Um, clearly, this is a snapshot in time. This is a conversation that will need to take place over many many months and years, in many different forums and in many through many many different venues and vehicles. Um, We would love to be able to solicit your thoughts and feedback. There are some questions on the screen that we'd love to ask you to respond to in our chat feature. And um, really for you to give us the opportunity to learn from you and for you to direct this conversation to the next level. Um, We would like to be able to continue thinking about how Mark's initial strategy and questions can help us to make concrete change in our work. And we'd like to know how, um, how you respond to this, what questions remain for you and what else you'd like to learn about. So if you have the opportunity to share that in chat, we'll be most grateful. Um, and finally, based on Ken's great recommendation, what we'd really like to do is make sure that this conversation moves forward. If you're not already an active part of GED Lab, please join us and share your voice and we really encourage you to reach out to all of us. Uh, Our information is up on the screen. Be in touch, help us to understand how these things, uh, these questions, these big ideas are impacting you and the kinds of changes that you are making in your own practice and in your own work. Um, You're gonna give us an opportunity to learn from your experience and that will be a tremendous gift, not just for us, but for the entire GED Lab community and for our entire field. Um, with that, I just want to give a final thank you to Mark, to Jonathan, to Liz, and to Ken for being willing to experiment with uh, with our new hang and for being such amazing partners in conversation. And we'll stay online for just a few minutes longer as everyone says goodbye. Uh, feel free to continue to post in chat. We'll be here, and we look forward to the next conversation. Thanks so much for being a part today.
2: Thank you, Sarah. You did a thank great you. job.
3: Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. This is really, really, really great. Thank you.